appreciate that. All these people sitting there staring at me. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I can't help it. I was just born this way. <laughs> um, my name is Don Boone. I'm a carpet beggar from Baltimore, Maryland. Been down here. Been down here for about three years. Actually, about about two years, I guess. Live out in Cane Bay, the Del Webb community. It's a community for old folks. The only thing you have to do to get in there is prove that you can ride a three-wheel bike without running into a palm tree. <clears throat> My wife did it the first time. She was fine. It took me four. And, uh, but they finally accepted me. So, Anyway, um, I was born in 1941. I was a Catholic when I started out. Uh, went to church on Sundays. My father would drive my sister and I up to the big Catholic church up on the hill. <clears throat> it was always crowded, tough place to park, and he'd drop us off. He'd say, go on inside, get a place to seat, save me a, a spot, and I'll find a place to park the car, and I'll come in and meet you. Sounds good. But if I can't find you, just come back out here and I'll pick you up. <laughs> <laughs> well, he always picked us up. I don't think I ever saw him in that seat that we saved for him. And I finally found out years later that he used to go down to Sources, a little tavern in Towson, and have a couple pops and read the paper. Meanwhile, I was supposed to be learning about God, listening to the Catholics speaking in Latin, which I had no concept of what they were talking about. So I really didn't get much of a, a base for any spiritual uh, upbringing. My mother was an Episcopalian. I later became an Episcopalian and went to church with her. Still, I didn't get much of a basis. I knew who God was, knew who Jesus was. He was up there with God someplace. The Holy Spirit, well, Episcopalians don't talk about the Holy Spirit very much. At least they didn't back then. And, and uh, so I kind of went along that way. I got in my 20s. I went in the service and uh, still... Didn't know much about God. Didn't really have much interest in learning much about God. Got married, had a couple kids. Uh, got divorced. Very sweet gal. We just happened to go in different directions. Uh, didn't realize at the time that marriage was really a two-way street and something that you had to work on. Because I don't think I worked on it very hard, unfortunately. Later on, got married again. But before... I got married that time when we were courting. Uh, my wife, Wynn, was going to an Episcopal church in Annapolis, Maryland, spirit-filled church, raised their hands. I didn't know what the heck that was all about. But everybody did it, so it was, it was okay. And, and she does it like, you might have seen her up in the front row. I mean, she just about knocks me out sometimes. Whack! <laughs> uh, but... That's where I started to really become in, involved with the church and start to learn who God was and who Jesus was. And during that learning process, there were some people there that wore these little wooden crosses. 
and they had a rainbow lanyard. Hold on, I wanted to know what those were. And those are crosses that are given to you when you have been through Curcio. Now, some of you may have been through Curcio. Uh, those of you who may not have, if you ever get the chance, I would jump at it. And what it is, it's a three-day close encounter with Jesus Christ. He is in your face for three days. It is probably the, the best thing that I have ever been through and very seldom talk to anybody that hasn't come through as a really completely changed person. So that's where I learned about at Jesus was at, at Curcio. And then I understood what this was all about. And I started doing the same thing. Uh, my wife and I, Wynn and I went back and we were on team for Curcio and then team for Emmaus, which is similar to Curcio, but it's ecumenical, whereas Curcio is Episcopal and Catholic only, or at least basically there's some places, pockets where they, the Catholics said them have other people, other, other denominations. Uh, <clears throat> if I can bend over. When and I got married, we invited everybody that was on a weekend to come to the wedding and 98% of them came to the wedding. My aunt, who is a staunch Catholic, was sitting in the second row and when we were doing prayers for the people, there were different people that would pop up and say prayers and different things going on. And my insulin, one of these, going, what's happening now? What are they doing? What are they standing up for? Why are they talking? You don't do that during the service. <laughs> uh, she never would understand. Uh, but we, uh, I spent 20 years or 22 or three years as a home inspector, building inspector, both residential and commercial. Uh, I spent a lot of time in attics, and like any smart home inspector, never wore a mask or anything. So you're up there with all kinds of dust, dirt, vermins, insulation. I spent a lot of time in crawl spaces, mold, mildew, vermin, spiders, you name it. God only knows what's down in, in those two areas crawling around. And I never did wear a respirator. Uh, some of the guys did. I didn't even get dressed up in a zoot suit. I just went like this. Dumb. Never took any pills. I was taking aspirin every once in a while, but never took any prescription pills. Health was really relatively good. A little on the overweight side, but not not overly so, so I really didn't have any ailments that I was carrying around with me. We ended up down here. My health again was, was good. Uh, earlier this year, I started to feel there's something in my lung that just didn't feel right. You know, sometimes you get, get a feeling you can't put your finger on it. You don't know what it is. It's not something that hurts. It's just something you know isn't quite right. But you can't describe it. You can only feel it, and you can't feel it in a, in a painful way. <clears throat> that went on for about a week. 
and then it went into a little bit of a cough, not a deep cough or anything, again, just a, a little cough that you don't pay much attention to, it's just from breathing a little bit too much dust. And again, no pain, nothing indicated that there was anything going on. The following week, got a little bit of a pain would come across here every once in a while. Again, not a, not a, in a real sharp pain or anything like that, just very subtle. So the whole thing is something that if you didn't think about it, you wouldn't even notice. You know, think I'm just getting a cold or a little bronchitis or something like that and it's gonna, gonna go away. But something was sitting up here on my shoulder telling me to go see the doctor. Well, I've been to the doctor about well, two months earlier. Dr. Myler down in Trident. He's a senior, takes care of old fuds like me. And uh, as I sat there and talked to him and described what I was feeling, and I couldn't tell him much, and he knew I had just been there, but he sent me right then, he had his office call the hospital and they set up a CAT scan. And I went right from his office to the CAT scan. Then he said, when you get through with the CAT scan, you can go on home. Well, when I got through with the CAT scan, the tech came out and said, Dr. Myler wants you to wait here until we get this read, and then he wants you to go back to his office. So uh, I uh, went back to his office. And one of the things I had been thinking about was possibly a blood clot. This is when my daughter kept talking, saying, maybe you've got a blood clot or something that's, that's causing this. And he said, no, we didn't find a blood clot, but we did find a tumor. Goody, goody, goody. It really didn't affect me much. I'm not an overly emotional person sometimes. And this is one of those times that it really didn't didn't hit me, didn't affect me, I didn't burst out or oh no, anything like that. Okay, just took it as a matter of fact. Went home and <clears throat> told Wynn. She didn't take it quite as easily as I did. <laughs> and Dr. Mahler's office, Dr. Mahler said, uh, we're in the process of setting up an appointment with an oncologist now because I'm going on vacation next week and I want you to be in somebody's hands. I want somebody to be working with you when I'm away. I don't want to wait until I get back. So they set, <clears throat> set me up with an oncologist. Um, and I went to him. They did a biopsy. The biopsy confirmed that it was cancer, but didn't confirm what type of cancer it was. He thought he knew, but it didn't confirm it. That meant that they had to do another biopsy. And they went in like from the side to do the biopsy, which is dangerous in itself because number one, you're opening yourself up to possible infection. Number two, you're going through one of the lungs to get to the other, to where the uh, tumor is. So that's not the best way to do it in this case. <clears throat> he set me up to go back to the same guy that did the first one, it didn't work out, and to do the same type of biopsy. I really wasn't comfortable with that. So I said, do you mind if I get a second opinion? And he said, no, that, that's fine. I'll send all the information I have, wherever you want me to do, just, just let me know, which I thought was pretty good. 
Meanwhile, a neighbor of mine who works at MUSC uh, did some investigating to find out who would be the best oncologist to go see. And she rides a bus to work every day with people that work at MUSC, Dryden, uh, Roper, at the um, military hospital, VA hospital, and everything. So she got a lot of input from a lot of people. It all came down to one person. Now this is where, this is where God's hand. I don't get emotional, remember that. <laughs> this is where God's hand came in. And if you couldn't see it, you had to be absolutely blind. On a Thursday, I called MUSC told the operator what I want to do, and I want to get a second opinion so it wouldn't be, seem like some big emergency or anything, and I told her who I want to talk to. <clears throat> Within two hours, her admin person called me back, and again, I explained what I was doing and that I wanted a second opinion and all that, and what did I say? It was Tuesday I called? Okay, Tuesday. She said, we can see you at 2.45 on Thursday. Now this is a top oncologist who got her hands full and I could get in in two days and her admin called me back within two hours. So when and I went down to see her, <clears throat> she took about an hour and a half to two hours talking to us. We met all her staff, her nurse, all, all her people. They were just as loving and kind and caring and concerned as anybody you'd ever want to see. If you want to see a room full of angels, they were there. So after we talked, Wynn and I decided that's where we were going to go. And she's the one that we wanted to take care of us. So she said, okay. She said, Monday morning, 6 o'clock, you're going to have another biopsy, but we're going to go down your throat because this is where the tumor is, and that's the easiest way to get to it. And there's no danger going that, that way. But then you're going to go to a brain, go, go get a brain scan. Now, they knew that I had some tumors in my lungs. The other doctor had never said anything about getting a brain scan. He wanted me to go and talk to a doctor about getting a port for the chemo and get another biopsy coming in this way, which didn't work the first time, but never said anything about a brain scan. She said a brain scan right away. So Tuesday, the appointment was on Thursday. Monday, I was getting another biopsy and a brain scan. Met with her <clears throat> Monday afternoon after that, and she said, you've got six lesions, you've got six tumors in the brain. I had to pick Wynn up off the floor. I mean, she was a basket case. And I was still sitting there, okay. I don't know why, God had just brought such peace to me that it just didn't affect me emotionally. 
And <clears throat> she said, we talked and she said, you've you got to talk to the radiologist oncologist who was going to do radiation on my hip because I also had it in my hip, hip bone and in one of my ribs. So I had this, I mean, this dude was skating around on some fast skates. And um, we met with him on Tuesday. Yep, had an appointment with him on Tuesday. And that had already been set up. So obviously we didn't worry about the, the hip. We went right to the brain and discussed different things to take care of or how to treat the brain. Well, we did decide to do the gamma knife procedure. And I don't know, has anybody in here heard of the gamma knife procedure? You can do overall head radiation, and I'm going to use some terms and don't take them as being absolute because they're not whatsoever, but it's, it's an example. You can put, say, 40 rads of radiation into your brain. Anything over 40 rads of radiation will start to affect some brain cells, memory and other cells. So the most that they can put in in an overall is 40 rads of radiation. And I had a pretty good sized tumor and, and some smaller ones and then some little bitty ones. But they didn't think that overall brain radiation would do it. So the gamma knife radiation they liken it to putting your head into the middle of a front-load washing machine. You've got this big thing going around, this drum going around. It's got 190 holes in it. And what they do is they put your head in a brace, and then they screw a brace to your skull so it can't move. And you're in this thing for about six hours. You spend two hours in an MRI machine, where they're dissecting your brain, at which time they found a seventh tumor. And then they take that information and they've got a whole slew of doctors and computer people and they do a computer program and they put that together. And then they slide you back into this another machine that's got this 190 holes in it. And what the gamma knife procedure does, it's targeted radiation. It's targeted radiation. So through the computer program, they know where each one of these lesions is, and they target these 190 holes. They can shoot 40 rads of radiation through each one of these 190 holes, all targeted to one spot, or seven spots in this case, but just say, say one spot. So now what you're getting is 40 rads going through 190 different spots but no more than 40 rads in your brain, you know, any one place. They get to the target at the same time, and now you take 190 times 40. And that's what's getting to your brain, to that target. So obviously that's a little bit more powerful than 40 rads of radiation. The downside is that you can still have some other tumors that haven't been picked up that may pop up later on. So I may have some other ones that will pop up. My last MRI was clear. Uh, these are starting to shrink up a little bit, and no new ones have come up, so that's good. So anyway, we went with the, the gamma knife radiation. Uh, I met with him on Wednesday, 
on Wednesday? Was it Wednesday? Yeah. No, met with him on Tuesday. Met with her Monday. Met with him Tuesday. It was Tuesday afternoon. He said, I'll see you at 6 o'clock tomorrow morning. Tuesday, Thursday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then Friday I went back again and they did radiation on my hip. What's that, five days? And if somebody can't see God's hand forcefully in that, they're blind. Because that just doesn't happen. You don't move through a hospital that way. It's next to impossible. The uh, oncologist nurse is a Christian. And after our meeting on Thursday, she stopped and prayed for us. God's angels. They're right there. Support groups for cancer patients are hard to come by. There are none down at MUSC. They had them before, and they just kind of fell apart. They've got uh, psychologists that can talk to you, but they don't have support groups. And a support group is, is very important, or at least to have somebody, some people that can be there to be with you, people that may have been through it before, that can help you, can, can lift you up on your down days and guide you. And, and um, We had some of those people at, at Del Webb, Ken and Diane Weisenberg. She's been through cancer and she should have been dead, but she went through a, a, to a number of different hospitals. She en ended up at Cancer Centers of America. And the doctor said, if you want to live, I'll help you. If you don't want to live, I won't help you. Well, she's alive and well today. Been that way for five years. And yet all the other hospitals that she went to, she's going to die. She gave me a book called Hope. We have given away about 24 of these books, and we have another 12 on order so that we can give away another 12, at which time we will get another 12, and we will continue to give this book away. It's the greatest little book in the world for anybody who has cancer, for anybody who has some kind of terminal illness. When I was first diagnosed, the prognosis was one to two years. So in two years, I guess I'm supposed to be dead. I don't plan to be dead, but that's what the prognosis is. One of the things this little book says, it said you take the prognosis and you immediately throw it away because it's meaningless. There's only one, only one person that knows when your last days are, and it's not Jesus Christ. It's the Father. He's the only one who knows when our last days are. The doctor can't tell you, but the doctor can tell you that you have one to two years to live, and he can suck the life right out of you, which is exactly what happens with a prognosis. 
And cancer treatments or all illness or changes are coming about so fast that you can hardly keep up with the changes. So next week they could come in with something that's going to completely cure it. And yet I've been told that in two years I'm going to be dead. I may be dead. So the book says you take the prognosis and you throw it away because it doesn't mean anything. But when you get it, it sucks the hope out of you. You know, I'm a dying man. And I can guarantee you that when you get that prognosis, it's exactly what it does to you. And now you've got to find a way to get that hope back into you. Because if you don't get that hope into you, you're not going to be able to fight the disease. You're not going to be able to fight the disease. You're going to give up. You're going to let your body take over, and it's going to rot you away. And that's where having some type of support group, as we had with Ken and Diane, that got us started and keep us going and can you know, guide us on the ups and downs and things like that. My philosophy has been, well, let me go back a little bit. When we were in Charlotte, North Carolina, every day in the spring and the fall and the summer when the weather was nice, there'd be a guy at the First Union Building Plaza lying on a gurney, had no arms, had no legs. But his friends would bring him down there every day so he could see people. People go up and talk to him. He'd get some weather, get some sun, see life. I always remembered him. So when I get cancer, you know, I can go in and say, why me? That's the easiest thing to do. Why me? Why him? What about that guy lying on the gurney? He can't get up and walk. He can't shake hands. He can't salute the flag. And I've got a little cancer. How can I feel sorry for myself? When look what he's going through. I can look around this church and I can see people that are a lot worse off, that are a lot sicker than I am. How can I feel sorry for myself? Because I'm in better shape than they are. The only thing I can do is ask God to use me in any way he can. He didn't give me the disease. But he can use the disease to his purposes. So that's what I want him to do. Use me in any way he can. And any time I start to feel down, what you're going to do? <coughs> I'll go back to Charlotte. I'll look around to some other people that I know that are a lot sicker than I am. And just let me be used to uplift, to hold, to carry, to whatever God wants me to do. And one of the things he has us doing is giving this hope book. I'd provide, be happy to provide this hope book for anybody that would like one.
or anybody that has a friend that may be able to use it. I've given it to some of the people in our uh, Tuesday men's Bible study. And I think that they've gotten some, some good things out of it. This is not a book of a novel telling a story, but it's more like a book of Proverbs. Little quips. This gal has spent her years traveling the country, talking to cancer patients, talking to groups, and just picking up little, little quips. When I was talking about the diagnosis, it says, don't buy into time limits, for they tend to become self-fulfilling prophecy. If I have two years to live and I buy into that, I'll be lucky if I can make it for two years. Don't buy into that. But that's one of the little quips that she picks up. You know, the Bible tells us that God won't give us any, anything more than we can bear. So some people have more to bear than others because I guess they have the ability to bear whatever it is that God's giving us. Mother Teresa said, I know God won't give me anything I can't handle. I just wish he didn't trust me so much. <laughs> this book has meant a lot to me, and, and I've read it time and again, and I've underlined things. One of the other... I guess items or things that I, I think about is that you know, I've got cancer, so I'm, I'm dying. I'm dying of cancer. We start dying when we're, they were born. And I'm not dying of cancer. I'm living with cancer. Maybe 5% of my body Stretch that, say 10% of my body has cancer. But 90% of my body's in fine shape. And I'm taking that 90% and I'm chopping it down, but most of my body's in good shape. So I am not dying from cancer, I'm living with cancer. You live with a cold, you can live with pneumonia, you can live with a broken arm. That's all I'm doing is living with just a malady. When you have any kind of a sickness like this, you have ups and downs. And you've got to work to keep yourself at the upper part. And you've got to live every day. Live every day to the fullest. Not because you only have two years, but God has put you here to enjoy life. And he wants to, you to enjoy life he wants to give you the good things, and he wants you to pass those on to other people. If I can walk into a room of people that are frowning, and I can go in with a smile, I'm going to leave, and half those people are going to be smiling by the time I leave. If I go into a room full of people that are smiling, and I have a frown, half of those people are going to be frowning when I leave. So I can feel bad, but I can still keep myself try and keep myself. And if I feel bad and I'm, and I'm really having a down day, I pick up the phone and I call Ken and say, Ken, just go get a beer. 
side effects from cancer. <clears throat> there are side effects. Different treatments have different side effects. But a couple of side effects that are normal are uh, you get tired real easily. Um, and you can get nauseous. Those are two things that go along with it. Uh, I've had a little bit of that. I've had more tiredness than, than the nausea. Um, I'm now down to where I'm on what they call a maintenance diet or a maintenance chemo. So I'm just on one type of chemo. Before I was taking two types, now I'm only taking one. And it's got the least amount of side effects. And the side effects have the least amount of potency to them with this. So I'm going to be doing that for the next year at least. Cancers like other maladies in that there are the cancer cells try and overcome whatever the medicine is you're taking. So then the medicine doesn't do any good anymore. Then you have to find a stronger medicine to take. Well, cancer does the same thing. Cancer fights the chemo. And eventually, it's going to overpower the chemo. So at that point, you move from chemo A to chemo B. And you take chemo B until the same thing happens, and then you move over to chemo C. But that's the same as any other type of disease or sickness or illness. There are always little things in there trying to overcome the medicine that you're taking. I, uh, I couldn't walk this walk by myself. I can walk it with my wife. My wife is the caregiver. I'm the care receiver. The person that needs the prayer is the caregiver. The person who has the hard job is the caregiver. What's the worst that can happen to me? From a good boy, I'll be walking the streets of gold. But the caregiver is the one who has, has the worry, who has to take care of you, has the concerns. I can't drive. Well, I can drive now, but I couldn't drive for about a month. She's the one that's driving me around. But don't ever, if you know somebody, don't ever stop praying for the caregiver. The person with the cancer needs your prayers, but the caregiver needs those prayers. She needs her, she needs the support. And they're usually overlooked. People forget about that particular person. But it's very, very important to pray and lift up that caregiver. Because that caregiver also is the one who lifts up the care receiver. I said I can't walk this, couldn't walk this alone. No, I can't walk it alone. I can't walk it just with wind. Not and have the attitude. It's the power of God. It's the power of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit that carries me through. In three months, I have been through all kinds of tests. I've had all kinds of things screwed into my brain. I've been in little tubes. I've been in big tubes. 
I've been tubes I can see my toes, and I've been tubes that, tubes that I can't see my, to, my toes. I've had my nose scraping on the top of the tube. Am I claustrophobic? You betcha I am. So it's there on my record. Claustrophobic? Yes. We'll put him in a small tube. <laughs> I'm one who worries about that kind of stuff. I'm one who can't sleep if I'm going in the next morning to get some kind of test. I'm scared of that. Not just going through the, I'm scared of the unknown. And I hate pain. Oh my goodness, do I hate pain. Gentlemen, through this whole time, as from the very beginning, I could see God's hand in every move I made. When I was going through all these tests and things, God's hand was there. I was not concerned. I was not apprehensive. I was not worried. I slept at night. I couldn't do that if it wasn't from God. God's the one that brought, gave me that peace. The peace that passes all understanding only comes from God. And I can be standing here with a smile, and I can be standing here saying that none of these things bother me, only because God gave me the peace to do it. He carries us when we're down, when we turn our backs. There's a poem, Footprints in the Sand, and it talks about that. Two sets of footprints, and then one foot set disappears. There's only one set in there. Say, God, why did you leave me? He said, son, I didn't leave you. I've been carrying you. So when I say, God, where are you? God's right here. God hadn't moved. What has happened is I've moved. But he hadn't left me, but I've turned my back on him. Don't turn your back on him. God will be with you. God will carry you. When I first got uh, cancer, one of the side effects is you lose your hair. So I was up there one morning brushing my hair. I said, oh, my God. I got a spot here I didn't have before. So I went to the barber, and I had my hair cut off. He had it made it into a wig for me. Yeah. <laughs> Feels better too. Um, <laughs> it's got bugs in it. Anyway, just as in closing, remember God will carry you. The healer, Jesus Christ, will put his hand on you. And the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, I will send a comforter. I will send someone to be with you. He's sitting on your shoulder, gentlemen. At least he's sitting on mine, and he should be sitting on yours. Oh. There is no conviction in Christ Jesus. Well, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. But there is conviction. 
That little Holy Spirit convicts me every day. Keep yourself in tune with God. Look to Him. God can carry us through anything. Sickness, addictions, He can be there with us when we turn to Him. Depend on your family and friends because you're going to need them. I've got more people riding three-wheel bikes that are willing to carry me around, do anything I need. Some people that I don't even know. But they've said, if you need a ride, need anything, I'm here. And you have to rely on those people. And whatever it is you have, throw the prognosis out. There is no such thing as a prognosis. Prognosis equals time, and there is no such thing as that. I'm not looking at two years, I'm looking at 20 years. Anybody have any questions that I could answer? Or?